Well, there are no prizes for guessing what kind of dance that is. It's a waltz, and specifically, it's Ravel's orchestral piece, or as he called it, poème chorégraphique, La Valse. There are so many of the familiar associations with the waltz form there. The sumptuous, glittering colours, the sensuous elegance. You can imagine a lavishly furnished Viennese ballroom lit by hundreds of candles, no doubt each one reflected in huge, ornately framed mirrors. The waltz today is synonymous with elegance, formality, an age of exquisite manners, perhaps. It's far removed, surely, from the hot-blooded Latin dances like the tango and the rumba, or the frank mating displays of much modern dancing. You're most likely to encounter it in the ballroom section of a show like Strictly Come Dancing, something a touch old world and perhaps a bit safe, maybe. But that's not at all how the waltz was seen when it first emerged, and I don't think that that's how Ravel saw it either. So, before we take a closer look at La Valse, let's get a bit of background on this dance form. The origins of the waltz are apparently in a German or Austrian dance called Lendler. Like the waltz, it was in three-time with a characteristic uncha-cha, uncha-cha accompaniment. But the flavour would be very different from what we've just heard. The word ländlich means rural. And if the Lendler itself conjures up images of beer-fueled village bands, lederhosen, vigorous yodelling and thigh-slapping, then you're already thinking on the right lines. Here's a take on Lendler from a great Austrian composer that captures some of that robust, earthy flavour. minuet, or perhaps we should say the Lendler, third movement of Schubert's Sonata in G, Deutsch 894. Under the new title of the German dance, the Lendler started to take off in the more polite kind of urban society, though as always when the middle and upper classes get hold of supposedly popular forms, a transformation begins to occur. Pretty soon the Lendler got meshed with the character of the far more respectable minuet, a dance that was well established at the Viennese court in Mozart's time, the end of the 18th century. From the marriage of that with the Lendler, the waltz evolved. It began to develop smoother, more elegant contours, but it was also faster, with a characteristic slight trip forward on the second beat. That's so essential to the Viennese waltz, indeed, perhaps to the most famous of them all. Despite its high-class associations, the waltz soon acquired a reputation as a disreputable, even morally dangerous dance. 
that swaying motion, the slightly woozy bending of the tempo. The German verb walzen means to roll something or someone around. There's an association here with intoxication. The gentleman may be using this motion, exploiting it, to get the young lady to drop her guard. The waltz was denounced from pulpits in this country and in Protestant North Germany, rather less so in Catholic Austria. But it wasn't just the Puritans who were uneasy. The suggestion that there might be something slightly corrupting, even sinister in the waltz movement, was soon picked up by serious composers. This is Robert Schumann in his 1840s song cycle, Dichterliebe, The Poet's Love. The intoxicating movement of the waltz is here viewed by an alienated outsider with horror. There's something even frightening about this breathless, unrelenting forward movement. Later on, we find a very similar nightmare waltz landscape in the scherzo of Gustav Mahler's Symphony No. 2, the Resurrection Symphony, which appeared in 1894. In his programme note for the symphony, Mahler describes the spectator, another alienated outsider, watching the dance grow increasingly garish and abandoned until he reacts with a cry of disgust. You can't miss it in the music. So, an interesting history of the moral character of the waltz before Ravel. So far, though, some of you will have noticed, all the composers we've heard from in this programme have been either Austrian or German. Ravel was a Frenchman, with therefore a rather different take on the waltz. I should mention, of course, that there is one very great French reaction to the glamour and corruption of the waltz before Ravel, the ball scene, the second movement from Berlioz's Symphonie Fantastique which is literally, as the programme tells us, a hallucinogenic experience of the waltz. This was written in 1830, so you could say that the Frenchman Berlioz was well ahead of the Germans in spotting the sinister possibilities of this dance. But Berlioz remains an ambiguous figure for many French musicians even today. I've heard him described as a German, even an English composer, by indignant French musicians. French composers usually stress the elegance, the suavity, the contained sensuality of the waltz. Ravel himself seemed to incline that way in a work from 1911, which was originally written for piano, with the revealing title Valse Noble et Sentimentale, Noble and Sentimental Waltzes. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Ravel's noble and sentimental waltzes. But the idea of La Valse was already brewing in Ravel's mind for quite a while when he wrote the Valse Noble. That was in 1911. He first began to talk about a work on this theme in 1906. He had a notion for an orchestral piece called Wien, which is, of course, the German word for Vienna. It's interesting that he should have wanted to identify it so specifically with the city and its language. The comments he made at the time suggested that things had been percolating for quite a while even then. You know my intense feelings for these marvellous rhythms, Ravel wrote. I find a deeper expression of the enjoyment of life in this dance, the waltz, than in Frankist Puritanism. French Puritanism? That's a strange notion, isn't it, to modern ears? But Ravel goes on. I am well aware what's in store for me at the hands of the acolytes of neo-Christianity, but I am not bothered. That's an intriguing remark, isn't it? For many people, Ravel is the virtual embodiment of the elegant but securely buttoned-up French gentleman. No hint of impropriety. There certainly have been no scandalous revelations about his private life. Not at all bohemian in that direction. And yet, here he is, responding to something exotic, enticingly dangerous in the waltz, and anticipating disapproval from French Puritans. I can well imagine him taking pleasure in the shock-horror reaction to passages like this. Ravel only toyed with the idea for this piece in 1906. It didn't really come to fruition until 1919. The great ballet impresario Diaghilev had heard of Wien, the Vienna Waltz project, and asked Ravel to turn it into a ballet for production by his own Ballet Russe in 1920. Now, the dates are significant, of course. 1919 was only just after the end of the terrible carnage of World War I, France was still devastated by the effects of this war. At the same time, it had brought about not only the collapse, but the annihilation of Imperial Vienna. The Habsburg rule and the milieu that went with it all vanished virtually overnight. A republic was established in Vienna almost immediately, and the Social Democrats took power. People were now talking about Red Vienna. Was there something in the waltz itself? dance emblematic of the old imperial Austrian capital that anticipated this coming catastrophe. Remember the enticingly sinister character that so many Austrian and German composers had found in it. Ravel doesn't seem to have been thinking in these terms when he first conceived Wien in 1906, but by 1919 surely he had to view it differently. All things Germanic now were viewed with far more suspicion and hostility in France. Yet the death of Imperial Vienna had left a gaping hole in European culture. You can't miss the sense of foreboding in the first bars of La Valse. Characteristic dance rhythms, which Ravel called marvellous, are now born out of a foggy darkness. There's a feeling like a deep, ominous heartbeat down in the bass in the pizzicato strings. And the first stirrings of waltz tunes themselves are cast in distinctly lugubrious colours. Ravel's description of the scenario for the ballet and the score captures the feeling of the opening very well. 
dancing couples could be glimpsed momentarily through swirling clouds. As these slowly clear, we see a huge ballroom filled with a circling crowd. The flutter-tongue flute there, that run up and down the chromatic scale near the end of that passage, it has a slightly alarming quality. After all, that was a colour much used by the ultra-expressionist Viennese composer Arnold Schoenberg, especially in nightmare works like his one-act opera Erwartung, written in 1909. Now there's a work supercharged with a sense of coming horror. It's been debated how much Schoenberg Ravel knew what you might call the colour coincidence there is striking. You remember Ravel's description of those swirling clouds at the moment. He sets the scene very nicely. It's the Imperial Palace in Vienna, round about 1855. The date, as Ravel must have been aware, was significant. The year 1848, the year of revolutions all across Europe, nearly saw the end for imperial rule. It was certainly the end for the hugely powerful Prince Clemens von Metternich, the embodiment of the corrupt, repressive old order in Austria. The imperial monarchy survived and attempted to re-establish absolute rule, but soon afterwards it was forced to withdraw from German affairs entirely by the triumphantly emerging new power of Prussia. The days of what used to be called the Holy Roman Empire, when Vienna ruled most of Europe, were well and truly over, and the foundations in Austria itself were shaking, and yet still the Viennese court went on dancing. La Valse is not a long work. In most performances, it's over in well under a quarter of an hour. And yet it manages to convey so much in that time. The sense of a dance moving ever closer to the edge of a precipice until a 
tragedy is neatly underlined by the overall progress of the piece. Essentially, you could describe the form as being two great waves, both starting with the same low, murky sounds, including divided cellos and basses and the ominous low heartbeat. It could sound like tautology to have that opening material come back again, but Ravel dodges that brilliantly. The great wave builds and crests very differently each time. The first time, the dancing seems to lead to pure, delicious intoxication. God's in his heaven, Franz Josef is on the throne. Sparkling candles, champagne, conversation are everywhere. And suddenly, we're dragged back to that opening vision. Remember how all this began. And now Ravel really starts to dig away at his musical foundations. La Valse is technically in the key of D major. And yet he always seems to dodge landing on that home key securely. As we near the end, he lands on, the technical term is the dominant of D, in other words, the harmony that prepares us for the arrival in the home key. It's a kind of Ravelian adaptation of the dominant. Listen to the way that instead of falling onto the home chord comfortably, the bass line gradually notches upwards. Again, for a moment, we seem to glance the possibility of stability, and then again there's even more screwing up of the bass. The tension builds, and something close to a sense of panic begins to pervade the music. Now we really have the sense that the glamour of the waltz is turning to horror. The familiar gestures of the dance form become increasingly exaggerated, distorted, as, for instance, in these extraordinary extremes of dynamic and huge melodic sweeps here. Surely the collapse of this texture can't be far away.
a sort of apotheosis of the Viennese waltz, which I saw combined with an impression of a fantastic whirling motion leading to death. That's Ravel's own description of La Valse, and I don't think it can be much improved on. As I said, La Valse was commissioned as a ballet, but it's rarely done that way today. The problem started when Ravel played the piece through to Diaghilev with the pianist Marcel Meyer in a two-piano version. Pretty soon it was clear that Diaghilev wasn't happy. He started grinding his teeth, which was never a good sign, and fidgeting. At the end, he said, quite simply, Ravel, it's a masterpiece, but it's not a ballet. It's a portrait of a ballet, the painting of a ballet. Never one to show his anger in public, Ravel picked up the score and left with dignity. But his friendship with Diaghilev was over. About the same time, he changed the title from Wien to La Valse. La Valse marks a new departure for Ravel. The stridency, the irony, the distortion and the final black abandonment aren't like anything explicit in Ravel's music before. Ravel often hints quite powerfully at dark undercurrents, but now they're not under the surface at all. The war had clearly left its mark on La Valse. Ravel, as a man, may not have liked overt displays. Even people who knew him well said that he usually wore a fairly impassive expression in public. But in his music, sometimes it was a different story. And La Valse is one of those works which show best that a composer's public persona is often just a mask, and that a very different kind of truth emerges in the music. <laughs>